You're listening to the Pigskin Cafe, a podcast covering the wild world of college football. On tap for today are hot takes, controversy, and analysis on your favorite team. Pull up a seat and your host, Hampton Sipper, will be with you in three, two, one. And we are back. Welcome into the Pigskin Cafe. My name is Hampton Sipper, and I will be your host this evening, recapping Conference Championship Weekend 2021. And who better to do that with than the correspondent at large himself, Mr. Graham Haney? Graham, how's it going today, man? Hey, Hampton, I'm doing. I'm doing really well. I had a really good weekend. My week started off well, and uh, I mean Alabama. Not a surprise win, but definitely one that was uh, – it tastes good for sure. And then, you know, shout-out to Chase and uh, those Baylor Bears. Man, what a way to end that game too. Uh, you know, been pulling for Baylor all year, but Dave Aranda, that guy can coach, and he shows zero expression. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, did, did he really understand what he was uh, getting himself into? You know, even we've even seen Nick Saban, you know, the toughest of the tough. Whenever he wins a national championship, SEC championship – at least cracks a smile. And Dave Aranda, after getting the Gatorade bath, looked like he was pointing and pointing at some of his players to try and get them to uh, do something else. So, uh, man, I'm more excited than Dave Aranda is. But uh, shout-out to the Baylor Bears. Shout-out to Alabama Crimson Tide. What a weekend of college football. And uh, got a shout-out to Cincinnati, too. Group of five team making it to the mm-hmm. big house. I yeah, mean, I, I think as Troy grads, we got to appreciate that at least a little bit, knowing that at least Troy now stands a chance whether they'll ever make it. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, they stand a chance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good, good to be back with you talking some uh, college football for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Graham. And yeah, quick shout out to Baylor. Blake Shapin comes in, has an incredible first half, then looked like he had never played football before in the second half. I think Oklahoma State made some adjustments, were taking away that first read from him, and he um, he never kind of pivoted to that second and third read, which he's a young quarterback. That'll come with experience. But uh, Dave Rondo almost gave him the game away um, with going for it on fourth down at 36. That kind of gave Oklahoma State life. But what a goal line stand to seal the victory and to secure Baylor's first Big 12 championship and – I believe seven years. It's been a long time coming for Baylor. Great job by Rhonda. And yes, it was an incredible weekend as an Alabama fan. Saturday was the best sports day of my life with Alabama thumping Georgia and then proceeding to beat Gonzaga in basketball. So we thought it would be great to bring on one of the best football minds I know onto the podcast to break down more in depth this Alabama Georgia game and who better than the wizard co-host and producer of Bams Radio with Drew DeArmond and William Redfish Barger Mr. Thomas Watts Thomas how are we doing tonight man pretty good Hampton thanks for that intro and uh, my ego will expand to the size of you know a small room you know Bryant Denny Stadium maybe but yeah it's good to be with y'all and much like you and Graham said it was a great Saturday 
I'll be the first to admit that uh, I have eaten a little bit of crow because even though I am an Alabama fan and an Alabama grad, I had taken Georgia. But wow, it feels good to be wrong as we talk about this game. Yeah, well, I you know I don't have much crow to eat because I picked Alabama to win. I didn't pick them to win forty-one to twenty-four, more like twenty-eight to twenty-five. But I did um, have faith in the tide, and we'll get into that and dive in to the um you know where the cookie got crumbled and where uh georgia got exposed a little bit and what a herculean performance bryce young had on saturday but before we do that as we always do on the pigskin cafe let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor play action pools who has been hosting our NFL and college football pick them all year long. And with college being over, we're now pretty much strictly an NFL pick them. But let's look at the leaderboards because we have a major, major shakeup at the top. We've got at number one, my dad, Rick, UPS 18 with 102 points. Shout Graham, out Howie Long. Shout out Howie. Um, Graham, you are number two at 100. Um, and a half points. Kyle is all the way down to number three at 98 points. Sam Gilmer at four and legend, AKA Wode Swab at five. What a major shakeup in the rankings. And it's going to be fun trying to pick all these NFL games down the home stretch to see who comes out on top. But for our listeners out there, be sure to go to play action pools and support all the great work they're doing. Now I want in on in. this. You, you, should want in on in on, you should let me in on this next season. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You probably would smoke <laughs> us. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. Because it's picking spreads, man, and I am oh. terrible at it. Picking against the spread, um, not my best work. Not my and, best work, and, but it's and, really fun. And just I want to say this, that Graham Haney being at the top of the leaderboard is uh, – it's gone pretty quick. It will it will not probably be much longer. Picking NFL games are so hard, man. It is every team is good, and even the worst team can beat uh, a mm-hmm. good team On every given week. day. Yeah, and thank so you. thank you, Lions. Yeah, you know, exactly. Vikings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, with that, let's dive into the SEC championship. Alabama comes out, gets down ten to nothing. Then goes on a 24-7 scoring run. It's 24-17 at half. Then comes out first drive in the second half. Bryce Young hits a deep bomb to J-Mo. And from that point on, Alabama was pretty much in control for the rest of the game. Georgia moved the ball throughout. But Alabama came up with some big turnovers to kind of halt them before they got in the end zone. And Bryce Young did just enough at the end on a drive. That lasted about five minutes to kind of drain the clock a little bit and secure the victory. Um, My quick thoughts on the game, I mean, you had to start with Bryce Young and the incredible job that he did. Uh, I know a lot of Alabama fans, including one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Um, Shout out Trip, a.k.a. Coast Dog. He's in our Bama um, message group. And uh, he, he said that Deshaun, or not Deshaun, I just spoiled it. Bryce Young had to turn into what Deshaun Watson was against Alabama in 2015 and 2016, and he did that and more. He threw for 421 yards, 
uh, three touchdowns, one rushing, had 40 rushing yards, and was just a magician. Um, he had incredible ball placement on deep balls, um, had a great feel um, in the pocket, and he that play he had with the pitch to Brian Robinson um, just shows the type of playmaker he is, point guard light mentality, um, and he was just absolutely incredible on Saturday, along with the offensive line that I know we have to dive into because who the heck saw Alabama's offensive line only giving up zero sacks? I mean, I thought they would at least give up a couple, um, you know, a couple to three, but they gave up none. They did a good job of keeping Bryce clean, um, and they did enough in the running game to have some semblance of a running game, and Alabama actually ended up rushing for more yards than the Georgia Bulldogs. So that was impressive on offense and then defense. Um, they did the defense did a good job of holding up against Georgia's run, um, rushing attack, and they did enough to limit um, the passing attack. I know Bennett threw for a lot of yards, but they forced him to hurry up um, and kind of rush his decision making process. He ended up making two costly mistakes, so I think those were um, those were key in deciding the game. And with that, I've got more thoughts on the game. But, Thomas, I'm going to kick it over to you. What surprised you most about Alabama's performance on Saturday? The SEC for years, Hampson, has been a line of scrimmage league. And if you can't block them, you're going to struggle. If you can't put the quarterback in the dirt, you're going to struggle. And what did we just see through LSU and Auburn? If you blitz Bryce Young, the Alabama offense bogs down. Now, hindsight being 2020, it's somewhat defensible because Georgia Georgia plays a defense very similar to what Nick Saban played before he got Manzeld a few, you know, 10 years mm -hmm. ago now. And they have absolutely titanic defensive linemen, and they're gonna two gap and to, to leave the linebackers clean. The difference in this game was Frankly, Jordan Davis got single blocked more times than anything, which was stunning. But with the Georgia defensive lineman not able to two gap, anytime the linebackers blitzed, either there was an offensive lineman in the way or one of the unsung heroes of the game mm -hmm. was Brian Robinson. Absolutely. I mean, his, his blitz pickups were on point and the guy was on half a leg. Mm -hmm. So when when the Alabama offensive line, you know, whether you call it a max protect look, which Alabama didn't go max protect very often. No, they did or, not. Or just the you know starting five plus Brian Robinson on a blitz pickup wherever it is, or Trey Sanders. He had a couple of blitz pickups too. You know mm -hmm. that that carried over from the from the Auburn drive at the end of this uh, two weeks ago. The offensive line was able to give Bryce Young enough time, and then Georgia wasn't disciplined in their rush lanes. So even when Georgia would get home, air quotes there was a rush lane for Bryce Young to make five or six yards and get down. I mean, that touchdown, if the touchdown that Bryce Young had that was a rushing touchdown, he wasn't touched until he was four yards into the end zone because Georgia was doing God knows what, and the Alabama offensive line was able to throw the entire Georgia pass rush essentially off the right hash to give Bryce Young a lane. If you're able to do that, that was really the missing ingredient for the Alabama offense in spurts, spurts and whatnot. If we're able to do that, it goes back to what I've said multiple times to anybody that'll listen. 
elite offense beats elite defense. If you can't put the quarterback on his butt and you have an elite quarterback, that elite quarterback will dice up elite defense. We've seen it with Deshaun Watson. We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence. And now we've seen it with Bryce Young. And I I said this uh, on the BAMS radio episode that I released earlier this week, and I'll stick to it. Until Kirby Smart goes and gets himself a quarterback that's anything but a game manager, and you know, one thing we can talk about is Stetson Bennett had his Steven Garcia game on Absolutely. Saturday. Yeah. You know, until Kirby Smart goes and gets him a quarterback that's a dynamic playmaker, Georgia's not going to win a national championship because you're not going to get a lot more talent on that defense than you have right now if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, Hampton. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, and I'm glad you mentioned Jordan Davis because all he was, you know, people talk about him eating all the time and eating in the backfield. The only thing he was eating was a buffet after the game Saturday because that man was absolutely gassed in the second quarter on that touchdown pass from Bryce to Mechie. He was playing patty cake with J.B. Cohen. He was out of gas in the second quarter. Shout out to LG for that joke. I had to give him credit on that. Um, But, no, I think you hit a lot of good points, Thomas. And, you know, talking about the offensive line and the job they did and the job Brian Robinson did, I'm glad you pointed him out. I think the insertion of Seth McLaughlin changed Alabama's offensive line, maybe not even from the overall upside from a talent perspective, But I think the communication along that offensive line was much better. They were able to pick up stunts a lot more effectively. And I think him um, being inserted into the lineup helped with that, along with him getting to the second level at times in the running game. Um, You know, he's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, and he's definitely not the quickest for a lineman. But I thought he, he reminded me so much of Bradley Bozeman. Um, that former Alabama center who's now starting with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, he just was really scrappy. Um, and I, you know, I just admired his grit and toughness in, in the game. And I think he, um, and you could see it in the Auburn game when he went in the second half, you know, Alabama didn't, um, dramatically improve moving the ball, but there were times even hence in the third quarter of them moving the ball downfield a little bit more effectively than they did at any juncture in the first half. And I think part of that had to do with him and the improved communication that came uh, with him being in the lineup. Graham, I want to kick it to you real quick, man. What did you um, – I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Thomas. What surprised you most about this game? What aspect uh, of the result or um, of a performance on Saturday surprised you? I think we all agree that the you know surprising factor was Alabama's offensive line. I think there's no doubt about that. That was the weakest point of our offense, and um, I, I would have said before last week that that would have been the reason why I favored Georgia in the game, why I thought Georgia would win, is that Georgia's defensive line, a bunch of nasty guys up front, and they would dominate Alabama's offensive line. And if we didn't see the exact opposite, I mean, the offensive line did their job and gave Bryce Young a chance, which, you know, Thomas, like you said, they struggled to do against Auburn and they struggled to do against LSU. And that's why those games were so close, even though Alabama was still uh, the better team. And to me, I think the thing that I was most proud of as an Alabama fan was um, before Saturday, 
there was a few guys you would have considered for the Heisman Trophy, but Bryce Young cemented his legacy on Saturday. Georgia was the the top of the mountain. They were the best of the best. Their defense was the best in college football history, only giving up seven points a game. And Bryce Young picked them apart. They cut them up like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, it, it was phenomenal to watch. And Bryce Young cemented himself as the Heisman Trophy favorite and you know potential winner. If he doesn't win it, if Aiden Hutch, you know, Hutchinson from Michigan doesn't win, if he if Bryce Young doesn't win it and Aiden Hutchinson does, does I will never watch another college football game in my life. Um, I will boycott. It will be uh, definitely the end of uh, end of that. But Bryce Young played so well. He made good decision after good decision, and he didn't turn the ball over, which was Bingo. you know not, well, not really one thing he's done all year. But yeah. against this Georgia defense, that was kind of the expectation was that Georgia is going to take away the run game, and it's all going to be on you know Bryce Young's back, and he's going to feel pressured to make these you know really close calls. But you got to give a shout out to Bill O'Brien. He drew up good plays. He got good matchups so that it was, uh, you know, J-Mo uh, against these, mm-hmm. you know, Georgia corners, Georgia safeties, and Jamison Williams. I'll take that bet every single time. And I think that's a great point on um, on Bill O'Brien. He has gotten, I think, undeserved criticism from the Alabama fan base because it's hard to call plays when your offensive line is a leaky border and it's just bursting at the seam every time someone sends an extra man. But I think what he did in this game is one, he kind of abandoned the running game a little bit. And part of that was Brian Robinson being hurt. Part of that was he knew that Georgia was an elite run defense. So what did he do? He spread Georgia out. He made him play nickel defense where they didn't have the cornerbacks. I think they had cornerbacks injured in, you know, going into the game, but you know, when they spread them out, that created a lot of matchup issues and he ran tempo, which Alabama has been effective all year running tempo. They did it in the Arkansas game a good bit when they kind of started off slow. And when they got, um, when they got going, they started running tempo. And then like you talked about with Jameson Williams, there is not a cornerback in the country that can cover that man one-on-one because, on the touchdown after the half, it was, I mean, he was covered by the corner. Then he had safety help, gives him a stutter and go and goes by both of them. Um, he's just an electric playmaker that I think, you know, without him and without Henry T, and I'm not going to play that game of, oh, if Alabama didn't have this player, they'd be in trouble because you could say that about a lot of guys. If you didn't have, I mean, that'd be like, the New York Yankees saying, if we didn't have Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, then we would have been pretty crappy in 1927. But Jamison Williams' insertion into the lineup and insertion into that wide receiver room has added that vertical threat along with he's really good in the intermediate area. I know on that touchdown, the safety had an angle on him and he kills angles, but he also opens it up for other receivers to kind of have options underneath. Um, I thought Slade Bolden, I gotta, you know, I gotta give him credit. He played one of his better games this year. Um, you know, which I don't know if that's saying a whole whole lot, but um the route he had on third down um when it was kind of getting a little hairy for Alabama to get open over the middle. Um he put a good route on the guy, got open, made the catch, kept the drive going. 
Um, Shakori Brooks, you know, I think he's going to have an even bigger role going forward with John Mechie, unfortunately, going down due to injury. Uh, but a lot of guys who had been playing bad all year, like on the offensive line, they're not playing bad, but they had not been playing up to expectations. Um, guys like them, guys like DeMarco Hellams, um, you know, Christian Harris, I thought, had a really good game. Um, those players, I think, arguably played their best game on Saturday. It was Paramount's and Alabama victory. Uh, Thomas, I want to um, ask you another question. Um, when you look at Alabama, when you look at Alabama, what did you think of their defensive game plan against Georgia? Um, I know they made it, put an emphasis on stopping their run, running game and kind of putting it on steps and Bennett to an extent. What did you make of how Pete Golden called this game? I thought it was what was necessary. You look at the Georgia offense in the entire year, and it was really establish a run game, play action off of it. When you stick seven, eight guys in the box and you let Brock Bowers turn into Godzilla and suddenly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the best word I have for He's it. He's incredible. Exactly. And, and, you know, all credit in the world to Brock Bowers. I mean, he, he unbelievable player, but you know, he'll beat one-on-one -on -one coverage most of the time, but you really have to pick your poison with an established run game. Do you let your James Cooks, Kenny McIntosh's, Amir White's run at you four yards, five yards a clip, and they just move on down the field, score a touchdown? Or do you put eight in the box and hope that Brock Bowers doesn't turn one of your safeties or your outside linebackers into the dude that just got dunked on? He just got mossed. That was what Georgia did throughout the year. And what ended up happening is Alabama was able to make the Georgia offense inefficient when it comes to the run game, and they had to lean on Stetson Bennett. Now, Stetson Bennett, to his credit, had 340 passing yards. But I'm okay with that. Like, I don't think Stetson Bennett's going to be that guy that completes 29 of 48 for 340 and three touchdowns, two picks to as well. Give him, you know, that happened. I don't think he's going to do that on a consistent basis. That's not his game. Without a run game, Stetson Bennett is, you know, he might hit that level one time, but it's not consistent. He's never shown that in his career. So I thought the Alabama defensive game plan was perfect. Now Stetson Bennett did play at a very high level this past Saturday, but it wasn't a high enough level when Alabama was able to put pressure on Georgia for the Georgia offense to respond. All credit in the world, you know, Georgia consistently drove the ball on the Alabama defense. But when you have two drives that get into the Alabama red mm -hmm. zone that take five, six, seven minutes of game time, and you don't get a payoff, you know, you get no points, one case an interception, one case a fourth down miss. That is deflating for a football team. And as much as fans were saying, finish, 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 the game's not over, in the cold light of day, basically the cold caffeinated coffee light of day, because I, I admit I was having some of the dirty water, I was having a good time Saturday night, that game was <laughs> over after those two failed drives because Georgia just didn't have the time. And, and that's Georgia's game. And just to bring another thing in, the notion that JT Daniels is going to make Georgia vertical enough to keep up with Alabama is trash. 
That is an absolutely insane argument from people who don't know football. JT Daniels has not shown a penchant to run the ball at all at Georgia. Mm -hmm. So fine. Let JT Daniels play in the shotgun without a run game. Will Anderson will break him in half. Congratulations. You got him hurt again. That's all that'll happen. Turner will meet at the quarterback right with him. Exactly. So, so, so it's kind of a, in a lot of ways, going back to your original question, I agreed with the game plan. It, you know, sets and Bennett hit a level I didn't expect. And it turned into a very competitive game. You know, obviously Georgia trying to play catch up, but that's the best version of Georgia's offense with Stetson Bennett. It's not going to get any better than that. From that context, I can kind of see the JT Daniels thing from a, you know, might be awesome, but I think that's trash. So Georgia is, Georgia is what they are at this point. An awesome defense. And, and here's the real, here's the, the problem with the Georgia team. They did a great job holding down Alabama's offense for two and a half quarters. Unfortunately, in the one and a half quarters, they didn't hold down the <laughs> Alabama offense. They lost 31 to seven. So, I mean, that that is what it is. Again, I, I said it once. I'll say it again. Elite offense beats elite defense. It's just the nature of the beast. If you choose to refuse to accept the nature of the beast, that's on you, man, because enjoy when your Florida's or your Alabama's or your Tennessee's bring out an offense that's very talented and can score 50 at the drop of a hat, they're gonna beat you. They're just gonna beat you. Johnny Manziel taught Nick Saban that Deshaun Watson reinforced it. And suddenly here comes Jalen hurts Tua Tonga Vailoa, Mac Jones, and now Bryce young. It, it, once is an anomaly, twice is a trend, four times is just normal. If Kirby Smart can't get it, well, congratulations. Enjoy winning the SEC East and being Nick Saban's whipping post in Atlanta. Well, and arguably, this is the funny thing, Thomas. He had an elite quarterback on the roster in Justin Fields and ran him off to Ohio State. That's, oh. the, that's the thing. Oh. He had Justin Fields on his roster and mismanaged that to a point where he left. And I know people are like, oh, well, Jake Fromm had led him to this point and yada, yada, yada. Justin Fields, I don't care what you do. The way he handled that situation with not giving him any game, meaningful game experience and game reps in that season and basically just putting him in when they were up by 50 against UMass or putting him in as a gadget running quarterback is the total – antithesis of what Alabama and Nick Saban did when it was Tua and Jalen because Coach Saban knew that Tua was too talented to let go and he wanted to get him ready and get him developed to when if he did eventually have to go to him he would be ready and to kind of give him that reassurance of hey we're noticing what you're doing in practice we notice the type of the caliber of player that you are and George I mean Georgia had Elite quarterback, and they let and they let him walk, and they kept it with Jake Fromm, and they, I mean, you see where that got him, well, zero zero championships. Kelly Bryant is calling on line one with Trevor Lawrence on line two. Yep. I mean, like <laughs> I, I take nothing away from Kelly Bryant; he's a legitimately good college quarterback. Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence is an elite college quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's same concept, you know. Jake Fromm is a good college quarterback who did a lot of good things for the Georgia Bulldogs. But Justin Fields, I mean, 
frankly, he should have beaten Clemson the first year. He did beat Clemson the second year. The only reason he's not a national champion is that he ran into the 2020 Alabama buzzsaw, which <laughs> outside of the Florida game, which is still really, really fluky. Like, look at that game in Toto. Alabama should have won by a lot more than they did. It, it was 35-17 and a half. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm not going to hold that against Justin Fields. It's like, congratulations. You ran into the, the best wide receiver college football's ever seen. Uh, a quarterback that is now wrecking the NFL and a running back without a, without an offensive line in the NFL because the Steelers offensive line is God awful, Terrible. who is still effective. So, you know, you, you can't, it's hard to keep up with that. Oh, and by the way, it was the best offensive line in college football last year, just to add insult to injury. But yeah, I, I mean, again, the way Kirby Smart left Alabama, I'm not going to take any prisoners when it comes to criticism of the guy. <laughs> so, so, so it's like, dude, I, I, I get it. You think you're the smartest guy in the room, but the preponderance of evidence suggests you're freaking not. You have to change until mm -hmm. you do. Enjoy being the Alabama whipping post. I'll be happy with it. But man, at some point, if I'm a Georgia fan, it's like, dude, dude, what, what are you doing? What are you mm -hmm. doing? Well, that, and, and, you know, it's funny to watch the YouTube fan reactions where, like, these <laughs> fans just go absolutely berserk. And I'm like, I, I sympathize. I sympathize mm -hmm. because I see it. But but my coach is smart enough to change it, and your coach is stupid enough and egomaniacal enough to not change it. So, hey, you signed up for this ride. Enjoy it. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think the point you made about Georgia fans clamoring – for JT Daniels like that, it's going to turn them into the greatest show on turf when their offense isn't even constructed for that type of attack. It's just, I mean, it's ludicrous. Graham, I want to, I mean, I could go on for that, on, on off on that for a good five to ten minutes, but I want to um, get your take on that question. If you think that JT Daniels would legitimately give Georgia a significantly Note, I said significantly better shot to beat Alabama. And then after you answer that, I want to ask you, um, you can provide any other players of the game that you have. I know Jordan Battle, to me, gets a game ball for that pick six. He could have had another one. I um, think he's been really, really good all year. Um, there are a couple others that, you know, deserve mentioning. But the question I want to ask, Bryce Schoen did what he did on Saturday. He's had a really great year. With I think we can all agree, not a terrible uh, supporting cast. Very good supporting cast, but not to the level that it has been at Alabama in the past three or four years. So I want to ask you, do you think, as of right now, or you can say when he leaves the capstone, that he will be the best quarterback under Nick Saban? When he leaves Alabama, he will be the best quarterback under Nick Saban. I don't think you can say it right now because he has to win the ring. He's got to put a national championship ring on his finger. He's got to bring that to Alabama, which Tua was able to do and Mack was able to do. And Bryce Young has, you know, probably all the ability that, you know, either of those guys have, if not more, but he's got to win the championship because that is the deciding factor between good and elite. And um, Hampton, I, I know that you and Thomas just talking about. Uh, you know these the importance of the college quarterback and 
um, the, the great, the elite, the best programs in the country, the national championship winners, the Dabo Sweeney's, the Nick Sabins. What do they do? When things aren't going right, they make a change. They're not afraid to. They at least test the water. They take a shot. And do I think that JT Daniels is the better quarterback than Stetson Bennett? He probably has a better arm, less mobile, you know, was more hyped coming out of high school. <laughs> but that's no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Stetson Bennett, you know, hashtag two time uh, walk on. So you got to give him credit there. Um, but does Stetson Bennett make Georgia better? I don't see that. Neither of those quarterbacks are elite, in my opinion. And if I'm going to take, you know, a guy, whether, you know, one has a, you know, an eight on the arm scale and, you know, that'd be JT Daniels and, you know, Stetson Bennett has the six and a half, but Stetson Bennett's got a, also has a six in the run game. JT Daniels has a, a two. I take, yeah, I take Stetson Bennett in a heartbeat because at least he can extend plays. He can make plays with his feet. And, you know, does that, you know, score Georgia lots of touchdowns? No, but that extends drives. That makes them where they are able to, convert that third and four when nothing was open. And so I'd take Stetson Bennett over JT Daniels in a heartbeat. But if you're Kirby, why not give JT Daniels a shot? I mean, you need some juice in the game. You need, you know, some extra life and why not take the chance? So uh, go ahead. I was saying, I think I get what you're saying. You, Mm -hmm. you know, why not take the chance? But I do think that locker room is, like it's Stetson's team. And I might yeah. be off on that, but that is definitely the vibe mm-hmm. that I get is that that Georgia team really likes Stetson. Um, they kind of rallied around him and his skill set. And that offense is built for him. It's a very methodical, it's a very 2012 Alabama offense. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Sure. Um, but it doesn't have AJ McCarron at the helm. It doesn't have the stud running backs or, an Amari Cooper on the roster, but it's very much built and constructed in the same way with the, you know, um, a couple of more spread infused principles in there. Um, sure. But Thomas, I want to ask you, and then we can kind of move off the SEC championship, unless y'all have anything else you want to talk about. What do you make of my question about Bryce Young? Do you think um, right now he's the best quarterback um, that Alabama's ever had? Um, under Saban, or do you think um, it's going to be, or by the time he leaves, that he will have reached that uh, reached that status? Well, I actually want to tell a brief story about the, and it will relate to the Stetson Bennett thing, but I'll get to your question. Sounds great. When when Jalen Hurts took over as a true freshman, if you remember, that was the Jonathan Allens and the the real defensive leadership group, and Ruben, and, and Minka, yeah, Eddie. all all of that, all of that, all of that group. Yeah, And one of the things that came out of fall camp was those defensive leaders came to Nick Saban and said, this Jalen Hurts kid, that's the guy. Like, like that's mm-hmm. the guy. And remember, he was in a big-time brawl with Blake Barnett as the incumbent. And, and <laughs> you know, ancient history. Yeah. Womp, womp. womp. Hey, but, Tom, hold on, Thomas. Do you sure. remember the scrimmage? It was like the second scrimmage. I was and Blake there. You were probably there. And, like, I remember reading reports coming out, and Blake Barnett would, like, turn it over six times in the scrimmage. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, but this, but, and how does that relate to Stetson Bennett? 
I, I would be willing to bet, like, like college football players, when it comes to football, are not stupid. They'll know if Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels gives them the best opportunity to succeed. You know, you're seeing that with the Alabama group with Ajay Hall thinking he's better than Jamison Williams and John Mechie, which is just comical. But, you know, <laughs> congratulations. You're an eight pounder. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> like, like, that, 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 I'm sorry. Like, but, but anyway, you know, Ajay, <laughs> styling on that guy aside, football players generally know as a group who will get them the furthest. And I think Stetson Bennett is that guy. But to your question about Bryce Young, right now, he's not. Because, you know, think about who he's competing against. He's competing against uh, Jalen Hurts that got Alabama really to two national championships. Mm -hmm. uh, Tua saved the second one, lost the first one. Tua got won the second one. Tua, who won a national championship and then was in the running for a second and then without his injury, probably would have gotten to a third. And then Mac Jones, who, if Jalen Waddell doesn't get hurt, I think he's the runaway Heisman winner. Agreed. So so Bryce Young's not there yet. Do I think he's going to win the Heisman moving forward? Yeah, I think he is the shoe-in Heisman Trophy winner a week from today, essentially. But he's not done it yet. And he's got to, I'm with Graham, he's got to win the ring. Now, if you wanna, if you wanna turn the page and you wanna kind of peek ahead to the next chapter, let me fair. Peek. Yeah, it's fair <laughs> if you're an Alabama fan to get really, 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 really excited about next year, because Bryce Young will be in his second year starting, probably defending Heisman Trophy winner. Will Anderson will be in another year of strength and conditioning, and that matters. Like, like it, even though he's already a freak athlete. The nutrition, the nutrition and working out builds on itself. So, you know, it's it's only going to get better, particularly with Dr. Uh, Rhea and, and Baloo, sorry. They're both really good at what they do. Like they, I'm a data scientist in real life. They are data scientists for people. So I, you know, I understand where they're going. But, you know, that's two years, that's three years in the program for both of them, strength and conditioning, learning the offense, et cetera, even should Bill O'Brien leave. And then the Achilles heel of this Alabama team was the offensive line. But remember, J.C. Latham's going to have a year in strength and conditioning and learning under a very, you know, people hate Doug Marone, but he's an NFL head coach, for God's sake. He taught NFL offensive lines. You don't get to do that if you're bad at your job you might be a terrible recruiter but you're a great x's and o's guy mm -hmm. so so you know he they had a year under him should he stay they'll have two the two brockermeyer brothers they both were injured in yep. their senior seasons they've been rehabbing and getting stronger so the the genesis of the offensive line problem really was some missed recruits that have now come to fruition, you know, your 2018, your 2019 recruits. Well, what Alabama did to try and correct that was sign a very heavy class in the weak spots. Those kids are going to have a year to mature. And if you can find a couple of wide receivers out of the group that Alabama has signed and the dudes coming on defense, because remember Henry Toa Toa is awesome as a middle linebacker. Yes. I don't think he's going to get yeah. a first round. You know, I don't think he's going to get a first round grade, but It'll be close should he choose to come back. Even if he doesn't, there are dudes waiting in the back. And there are, what, 
maybe six outside linebackers that would start anywhere but Alabama Mm -hmm. right now. So there are guys all over the field, and this was always going to be a rebuilding year for the Crimson Tide. If the if Alabama manages to steal, and really this would be a steal yep. because this team is a step back from 2020, I think this is probably the least talented Nick Saban team he's had since 09, you know, something like 09? that. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute in terms yeah. of just pure talent. So that, but the talent coming is very, very well thought of. Now, of course, you don't know if they're going to pan out, yada, yada, yada. I get that. But next, like as good as this year's team looks, and they have the absolute inside track to the national championship, given the win over Georgia, and given how the bracket has now set up in the college football playoff, you have to be real, real excited about next year too, no matter what happens against Cincinnati and should Alabama prevail against Cincinnati moving forward three weeks from now, Hampton. Yeah, no, uh, awesome, awesome points. And I would, man... We might have to get you on to talk 2022 Alabama uh, when we get in the offseason because, like you, I'm very, very excited about um, the prospects on that team and the outlook of it because, like you said, young talent that is going to have another year to develop. Um, and Alabama, I think, just signed the best recruiting class of all time in 2021. Um, and there are going to be dudes everywhere. Um, so that's going to be. Uh, very fun to watch. And my final point before we kind of move on from the SEC championship and Graham, I'm going to come to you because I know you had some questions for Thomas. Um, but, you know, before the game, when I was kind of analyzing it, I think the Alabama schedule of Alabama being battle tested and, you know, scraping and clawing for like three to five wins, which Alabama usually doesn't do. I think paid dividends for when they got to this game because I think that Auburn win kind of galvanized the team, set their focus on what it means to practice to the Alabama standard, to do things the way that Saban wants him to do it. And I think you saw the best performance of the season on Saturday. And the scary part is I think they can improve on that. I really, really do. Um, And I think Georgia – on the other hand, went through a schedule where they hadn't been tested and they hadn't played teams that could test them vertically. I mean, I know their defense is really good. They've got a lot of stud players. N'Kobe Dean's a good player. Uh, Nolan Smith's a pretty good player. Um, Tyndall is a good player. Um, I was being nice to Nolan Smith, even though Nolan Smith had, is the same player he was as a freshman, pretty much. Adam but, Anderson's a good player. Even though he's not even though he's not playing, um, but they have a lot of talent on that defense. But they would have not have given up just seven points a game if they played Alabama's schedule. I wholeheartedly believe that, and I think that kind of paid dividends. And that was not discussed enough before the game. Of you know the quality of competition that Georgia didn't have to play because I don't I don't think they got tested um, until. Um, Alabama came into Mercedes-Benz and punched him in the mouth and came away with a victory. Um, very impressive win by the Tide. And now they match up with Cincinnati in the playoffs, which we'll end the show talking about really quickly. But, Graham, um, before we transition to that, how about you uh, ask our uh, great guest, Thomas, some questions that you had 
prepared beforehand. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Thomas, you, you said you were a data analyst, so we're going to try and you know, not only break down the numbers, but kind of see what you think is important uh, in the numbers. And the first question I have is, um, you know, something that you know could have yeah, definitely changed in college football in the past ten years, and um, and that's what statistic is most important for a successful football team. You know, is that like sacks? Is that like, you know, QBRs, that, you know, turnovers? Even like for Alabama's perspective in some points, is that like recruiting rankings? Like what factor do you think plays the most part in, you know, success on the field? So I think success on the field does start in recruiting rankings. And the way I describe it is with something I call it's It's called a shifting window um, if you're an academic but essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a box around your team's performance. And when you have the majority four and five star talent, you, you raise the ceiling of your team and you don't necessarily push this or you raise the floor of your team. Excuse me. You don't necessarily raise the ceiling much higher because there is a ceiling that you're not going to be able to break through unless you have a truly special unit. So I think with it really takes talent and then you have to craft schemes that use the talent the best. Like I just got done crucifying Kirby smart upside down for not modernizing his offense. And we just saw it last Saturday. What had Nick Saban went and did? He went away from the game manager quarterback to a very dynamic playmaker. Alabama's had extreme success. So it's understanding that you can do things through talent and then development of that talent to minimize funky losses. And that's really, that's that's been Nick Saban's hallmark. Before the loss to Texas A&M, they were like, what, 85 and 0 or some garishly huge number against unranked opponents. You just weren't going to, you know, reach up and, you know, clap Nick Saban essentially. So that's a big deal. And then the the thing that really changed college football was not a key statistical change. It was rule changes within the game. And the rule changes that drive me crazy like, I don't like how college does the lineman downfield blocking rule. Because when you've got really large dudes, like hmm. offensive linemen running at you, and you are, the, you know, the back judge, or you're the, the I don't, I, I, I get the, the officials confused. You're the guy that's supposed to sit, you know, eight yards deep in the defensive backfield that occasionally is used as a pick. It's really hard to judge if a lineman is three yards downfield, four yards downfield, two yards downfield, or eight yards downfield. So that rule is really, really lax. So you have these, you that brought on RPOs. And RPOs at their core are insanely hard to defend. You basically have to throw out your old school defensive keying systems because they just don't work anymore. So when you take elite talent, and you throw out traditional defensive schemes and you have to adapt. I mean, the 3-3-5 defensive scheme is specifically evolved to take away some of the modern spread principles. Now, ironically, the 3-3-5 gets its face kicked in by old-school power football. That's what you saw when Alabama played Old Miss. That's what I think you're going to see when Alabama plays Cincinnati. But that you know, if, if, if I was the college football czar for a day, 
I would take, I would get rid of the targeting rule as put together. I think it's a bad rule. I think it, I understand where it came from, but I think it needs to change. Ejecting a kid is silly because most of those are bang, bang plays. And the only time you should be ejecting, let the officials make a judgment call. They're officials. Like if it's obviously malicious, throw the kid out. If it was a bang, bang play, let the kid keep playing, take 15 yards. Like I'm okay with that. Who cares if congratulations fans are going to fight over it no matter what, but I would get, I would change the three yard downfield to the NFL rule, which is one yard downfield. And what that would mean is you can't have these funky RPO schemes where run pass option plays go four seconds where the notion of we can't read this properly because the quarterback's running around crazy that doesn't work anymore. I, I would look at that. I would look at the, like, you know, I would look at the one yard downfield. I would look at the targeting rule. And I think we kind of have to have some kind of gentleman's agreement about pass interference because Nick Saban teaches his guys to basically beat the snot out of wide receivers. And sometimes it gets called. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's just like, can, can there be some kind of consistency here? Because, I get it. You're asking officials again, going back to targeting, you're make you're asking officials to make bang, bang judgments. I get that, but there's got to be some kind of give and take here because I know that offensive football puts butts in seats and eyeballs on TV. So you want offense to be the thing, but call, you know, color me the guy that I enjoyed watching Georgia's defense just as a, as a, you know, as, as a, as an uninterested fan, I still to this day, I will go to bat for the 2011 Alabama defense because I'm not in the camp that thinks Georgia's defense is as good as that defense. I mean, that, that defense was unbelievable. Absolutely. And they faced good offenses that year, right. too. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know I kind of went off on a tangent, Graham, and I apologize, <laughs> but th this, this is one of those things. You, know, you kind of gave me the bully pulpit, and I wanted to talk about it because there's a lot that goes into – the development of college football over the past 10 years. And it really does go back to the first five yards downfield, now three yards downfield. And it's really, really hard to officiate. And it makes games. I mean, that's kind of why Texas and Oklahoma are going to really struggle in the SEC. If they bring that without elite talent, they're just going to get annihilated on the lines of scrimmage and it's not going to matter. Yeah, that, that, that's a great answer. I, I think you really a good job of you you think different than you know I think me and have to do you think of why are things the way they are instead of the things are the way they are me and Hampton see the RPO game as man that's a great offensive system too you can fake the run you can hand off the you know hand off the run you can you know get the quarterback out then throw the screen you can do all kind of stuff and you know for you know casual fans I don't necessarily think we break that down to a rule standpoint as to why that came into place um but I think it kind of you know it comes down to the numbers and the reason why they're doing those things is because the you know, statistics the numbers are in that favor that if you throw that 50 50 ball the chances are you know it, it's not a 50 50 ball there's a 50 50 percent chance to catch it but there's also like a 65 percent chance there's going to be pass interference called which is you know obviously in the favor of uh you know of the offense and I don't know that statistic for sure but there's a whole lot more uh offensive you know defensive pass interference calls then there probably you know should be and i can agree with you on that point 
And uh, I'm a big numbers guy, and so I like some of uh, you know the the numbers, especially when it comes to uh, money. I mean, I work with money. I look at money. I, I like to talk money, and I would love to have more money in my pocket. But uh, we know that this you know off season, we've seen college football turn into like the stock exchange. I mean, there's so much money being thrown around that it's not even funny. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley getting like a projected like 110 million. You know, Brian Kelly like 95 million. I think Mario Cristobal is getting 80 million. Um, this is you know kind of a two parter. The first one is, what do you think is the biggest reason why? coaches salaries are increasing you know so substantially this you know not necessarily this offseason but the past several years and you know out of the coaching hires this offseason what school do you think gets the best return for their investment because not everybody can win the national championship every single year okay well that the second part of that's a complicated question but so if you want to talk about economics i am an austrian school guy uh, radically free market. Uh, the reason stuff's going up is that there is larger and larger pieces of the pie. And you talk about tech. Why did people ask, why did Texas and Oklahoma come to the sec? Well, realize in the next 24 months that sec TV contract with CBS is going to be done. And that Thank was God. the, that, well, I don't have a problem with the sec on CBS. I mean, I could off air. I'll tell you a story about Vern Lundquist and his publicist, which absolutely <laughs> sent me into orbit. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, that was the, in terms of money, TV money. That was the bargain bin deal of the century. And as ESPN takes that over, the money infusion is going to be gigantic. I mean, you are starting to get to the point where. If you're not in the SEC or the Big Ten, you don't have the raw funds to compete. It's just, in, you know, instead of Alabama getting a weight room, the, the dadgum Alabama training staff is going to get a weight room. It's, it's almost going to be like the old Oprah meme. You get a weight room and you get a weight room. Everybody gets a weight room. So, so there's going to be so much money in college football, particularly at the highest level, that the market is going to be able to afford it. You know, particularly in the Brian Kelly case, USC, because they were private school, I don't have a good grasp on their economics. And Miami, Miami's kind of taking a huge shot because Miami seems to think that because of the 80s where they came out of nowhere and there's all this money in Miami that they should be that again. Unfortunately, because of where Coral Gables is, it's really, really hard to have the air quotes campus experience in the middle of South Beach. Like they, they play at the Orange Bowl. That's the Dolphin Stadium. Like, like, okay, you play at a pro stadium. That 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 is a completely changed dynamic than Bryant Denny, the Big House, Neyland Stadium, you know, the Death Valley, Death Valley, you know, Death Valley Baton Rouge, Death Valley Clemson, you know, whatever. But like that, that's I think that they went there because they want to try and stabilize their program. So that's I, I think the money is there because TV money is not going to magically disappear. Even though I hate it, I think the playoff is going to expand because everybody's greedy and they don't particularly care that if you put Alabama at one against whoever the hell is 12, or even if it's eight, which I think is Ole Miss, we've already seen that game and it wasn't particularly competitive. Yes, Alabama made a couple of key fourth down stops, but like, so what, man? Like, 
okay, what, what's Alabama offensively going to do? They're going to run the ball. They're going to run Brian Robinson 40 times and Trey Sanders 20, and Ole Miss is not going to stop it because Ole Miss's run defense is crap. I've already seen this. Why do I need to see it again? Matt Corral will do some things. Whoop-de-doo, they won't be able to keep up, and we've now made $50 million. But, you know, that's – the money is going to keep coming in. But in terms of return on investment, I think that's an interesting question because – I think they're different expected returns. If you're LSU and you spend all that money to hire Brian Kelly, your immediate return is get an adult in the room. I mean, Ed Orgeron, to his eternal credit, captured lightning in a bottle. He'll always be just, he'll get free boudin for life from those folks (laughs) down in Baton Rouge and more power to him. But, I mean, come on, look at the transfer portal. Is there a scholarship quarterback left because Max Johnson just went in there? You know, so Brian Kelly's immediate return is get an adult in the room, stabilize the program, build the program. But ultimately, it's national championship. That's what LSU expects. Well, Brian Kelly has the exact same problem that Kirby Smart has, and it is one Nicholas Lou Saban in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So I don't think that I don't think that's a fair expectation. It's the same concept with Texas A&M. We're going to win national championships. Well, Nick Saban is still in his office, still working his ass off. You know, what is it? Is What's the common theme? As long as the angry little man is in his office in the Malmore Athletic Facility. <laughs> you know, that that's the thing. But, you know, Cristobal, if Cristobal can stabilize and get into the ACC, the ACC is going to be in a weird spot because with Brent Venables going to Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Oklahoma going to the SEC – but, you know, what's Dabo Sweeney going to do? You know, the ACC could turn into a power vacuum, so Cristobal could fill that. I think Cristobal is at least on, you know, close to Dabo Sweeney's level. He's done it at Oregon. He, he absolutely hates physical teams. Like Utah punched his Oregon team in the <laughs> face over and over for two weeks in a row. But I think the return on investment there would be an ACC championship. Mm-hmm. But in terms of overall, I think the best return will be – at the end of the day, I think you could make an argument that it could be Steve Sarkeesian still. I mean, he's only making $7 million only, you know, God only give me $7 million to coach football. You know, if I wasn't coaching football, I'd be a PE teacher at a high school for God's sake. But you know, Texas has all of these resources. They're going into the SEC. They're in an uber-talent-rich state. I get the Texas fans are pissed about it, and it didn't work out now. But these new guys, they're walking into less good situations with higher expectations. Lincoln Riley at USC. Unless you go undefeated, the Pac-12 hasn't made a playoff in a long time. And the two times they Exactly. And the last time they made it, Washington was not competitive with Alabama. And they haven't even been close since. So you've got to overcome that bias. And that bias is there, whether anybody in the college football playoff intelligentsia wants to admit it or not. So you've got to overcome that. And I don't know if they can. I mean, I just, I'm not sure the East Coast cares because now college football has turned into the Big Ten, the SEC, and maybe the ACC, maybe the Big 12, but the Big 12 is about to lose their two cash cows. So are they going to become, is it going to become the power two and the eight group of group of eight dwarves? Like that, that's kind of what it looks like from a monetary standpoint. So 
I guess the way I would the, the the proper answer to your question is if you're in a group of two coaching job, a la you know your Mel Tucker's or your Brian Kelly's, it's national championship or bust. Mm -hmm. If you're in your group of eight jobs, even getting into the dance is probably a good return on investment. But yeah, I mean it's really with realignment and the amount of money coming into the sport should expansion happen, and the SEC is getting money no matter what. That's what I would look at. It's just such a complex question. The economics blow my mind. I mean, for all of Lincoln Riley's salary, he's getting you know an extra million because USC is buying two of his houses at $500,000 over market, if you believe reports. And USC is buying a $6 million house in LA, which I feel like a $6 million house in LA is like a well-appointed broom closet. But you know, <laughs> hey, congratulations, man. You got it. Take your money and go. You'll give at least 60% of it back to the state. But hey, that number looks really good on paper. And you can't forget the uh, like unlimited like private airline that he has. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'll say this for Lincoln Raleigh, that was kind of an offer that nobody could refuse. Like, it doesn't matter the you know, circumstances of USC's program. Like, okay, they're going to give you a million dollars, you know, more for your houses than they're worth. Like, that's got to seal the deal, you know. And you know, housing market, I guess, is you know was booming at least, but a million dollars more. Like, and he didn't have to do anything. Take it, hundred million dollars in the bank. Take it. Unlimited access to an airline. I mean, shoot, that's family, that's recruiting, that's that's anything, and that's stuff that Oklahoma. I mean, their whole athletic no. program, their budget's probably not even that much. You never know. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. But USC those are has all huge money. Mm -hmm. L.A. I mean, that, that's that that's what it is, and I think that you know, will Lincoln Riley bring that much money back into that program? It, it's hard to tell. It, it really is, but. I think for USC being in a huge market in LA, the West Coast is completely up up for grabs now that Mario Cristobal's out of Oregon. And so USC is seeing the light and they're just trying to to take a hold of it and uh mm -hmm. maybe not, you know, put themselves back in the picture, but at least get themselves in the conversation and in a good way. And so uh I thought you had really good answers to everything I was uh thinking. And I just think the you know, the audience, the people that listen will Maybe have the same questions. If not, they'll kind of think, man, I never really thought about it that way. So good answers uh, for sure. I didn't try and stump you. At least, you know, at least I didn't try to. I was just trying to get some. Yeah, I was just trying to get some, you know, some things I was thinking. Yeah, it's it's always fun to talk about this kind of thing just because it's never uh, it, like one of the things that we get trapped in as football fans or as just people is the Twitter answer. 140 characters. Everyone loves a 140 character answer. And it's like, well, I, I wish I wish life was so black and white, but it's all shades of gray. Like I, I to your point about Lincoln Riley, with the Christ, with the sudden crystal ball vacuum, depending on who Oregon gets, because Oregon has Oregon has Nike money. Like that that's that's a level of money that only the oil barons in Texas can make. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. Uh in 2009. Uh, when Alabama played Texas, there were like two Alabama private jets. There were like 30 Texas ones. You just, you sort of look down the private tarmacs and you just saw the people flying in. But anyway, yeah, it's if, if Lincoln Riley can start reeling off Pac-12 championships, similar to how he did with Oklahoma, because up until Bedlam this year, Oklahoma was really the gold standard in the mm -hmm. Big 12. I think USC would consider that a, a good return. Now, 
eventually, you know, he wins three or four in a row, makes a college football playoff, runs into Alabama, runs, loses by 30. That's going to get old because the USC folks think they should be better than the country bumpkins over in Tuscaloosa. But there are a lot of steps along the way. You know, Nick Saban's probably looking at retirement before that that starts really turning into a huge problem, Graham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great points, Thomas. I enjoyed um, listening to your answers. And Graham, great questions, man. You came prepared. You did the homework. And I think our listeners will really appreciate it. But before we let you go, Thomas, give me a three-minute summation of your thoughts on the playoff selection and the two matchups really quickly as like a little brief tease because we're going to have a big preview show um, closer to the game you know, game time, but I want to get your thoughts before we let you go this evening. So I have never been a proponent of the college football playoff selection committee, and I never will because <laughs> I think – the problem is you get a lot of people in a very complex scenario voting on something that they don't have the intellectual capacity to understand in many cases. And it's only ex post facto that it is proven correct in most cases. Like just because it works when you black box everything doesn't mean it's a good system. Mm-hmm. So you know, that that's that's my I say that on BAM's radio all the time. But anyway, let's let's put that back in the box, put it on a shelf, shift it to the side. I you know, looking at the season, the only potential question would be Notre Dame over Cincinnati, but you had the head to head. So Cincinnati pretty much had to go. Now, should Oklahoma State have been six inches forward on that fourth and goal? It would have been a barroom brawl. Yeah. And I think Oklahoma State would have gotten it. I really do. And that just, I'm glad they didn't because as much as I hate the selection criteria, adding more teams to the postseason just dilutes the regular season. Absolutely. And nukes the bowls into oblivion. There is no point for bowls. Like, yeah, it, be, go ahead. I about to say it. I mean, we've even seen that in the past, you know, few years since the playoff started 14 yeah yeah i mean like bowls are if if you are you know in in any way being looked at by the nfl scout there's no reason to play in a bowl game now yep yeah you know the only in one of the few cases where it's worked out for you to play in a bowl jerry judy went absolutely berserk against against michigan a couple years ago but that's kind of more the exception versus the rule but beyond all of that beyond the selection the two matchups, I do think that it, those are the four most deserving teams. I frankly don't think Cincinnati – Cincinnati is a weird one. So so I looked – You know, the matchup was announced, Alabama versus Cincinnati. Well, what do I do? I start looking at numbers because I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data scientist in real life, for heaven's sake. It's what I do every day, so I'm very used to it. I start looking at numbers, and I, I'll, I'll save a lot of the numbers later, but – Cincinnati looks like a truly good to elite defense, particularly at their corners. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then you look at their offense, and I'm like, this is a middling offense that that was middling and did some things. And okay, they're kind of run first, rock on. That that could do some cool stuff. But then, and I don't know why ESPN even put this on the screen because it really lights the whole process on fire. Cincinnati is something like the 87th strength of schedule in the country. 
like 87. So, 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 so I'm sitting here as a stats guy and I'm like, so they have an elite defense against a crappy schedule. What does this mean? Like, like, are they really an elite defense or did they just annihilate bad opponents? And in many cases, they didn't annihilate bad They didn't annihilate their bad, their bad teams that they played. They barely squeaked by. And is their offense, which is middling anyway, is it just bad? And should Jerome Ford, who is, you know, Bama recruited him for a reason, should Alabama stop Jerome Ford? Are they going to be able to do anything? Because Desmond Ritter has been there for forever, but he's not exactly Peyton Manning. He's not, nor is he Pat Mahomes. So it's like, all right, well, I, I, I think, you know, the line came out, it's Alabama by 14 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Alabama by double that. I, I really think it's a matchup. They do not. Cincinnati wants no part of this Alabama team. Yeah, they're going to come in. They're going to play inspired. Whoop-dee-doo. But if they get punched in the face, I'll be very interested to see how that game goes. Because at the end of the day, it is Jimmy's and Joe's. And Alabama has more. Talking about the other matchup, I said before the podcast, I love it. Um, I love defense. These two teams are going to beat the snot out of each other for four mm -hmm. quarters. Um, I favor Georgia pretty heavily. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of in the minority there because Michigan, you know, I looked at Michigan statistics. They're like a 60-40 run pass team. You don't run on this Georgia front. You don't. The best offense Georgia saw, Alabama, struggled. Yes, Alabama had an occasional explosive, but they also had a lot of zero, one, or two-yard runs. That's not going to get it done against this defense, and Michigan is a run-first team. I favor Georgia in this one, but... Again, I said earlier, Alabama really has the inside track here. I think they should be better than Cincinnati. And then they get either a Michigan or a Georgia team that is, they're going to beat each other like badly. I go back to, I mentioned uh, earlier, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, game one. If you look at what Clemson lost in that game against Oklahoma, against, against Ohio State, excuse me, bleh, they lost a ton of guys because Clemson had played a really weak schedule. And then, then Ohio State got physical and just started yeah. beating them up, just started hitting them. And they started losing dudes. Like, dudes were dropping left, right, and center. I think that's going to happen again to Georgia or Michigan, whoever comes out of it. And they're going to get a rested and hungry Alabama team that, with the notable exception of the true freshmen that didn't enroll early, this is old hat. Like, oh, well, we're going to do the same thing we did last year in terms of preparation, except that instead of Mac Jones and Najee Harris and Devontae Smith wanting to throw footballs at us if we mess up reps, it's going to be Will Anderson threatening to actually break us in half or Bryce Young just sort of looking at us like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, it's the same thing for Alabama. So as an Alabama fan, I'm excited for it. As a college football fan, I'm a little disappointed with Alabama-Cincinnati because it feels really, really mismatchy to me. But Michigan-Georgia, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm holding off on the New Year's Eve parties to watch every single snap of that game because that is straight out. That, that game is going to be straight out of 1995, mm -hmm. really, really big dudes on both lines of scrimmage punching each other for 60 minutes, and I'm going to love every second of it, Hampton. Thomas, I am so with you on everything you said. I think it's a great matchup for Alabama uh, to kind of get some guys rested and kind of have like a tuning up game. They come out and take care of business against Cincinnati while Georgia and Michigan are going to beat the ever-living snot out of one another. And I think it really paid dividends last year 
uh, or not last year, but in 2018, remember Alabama had to play Oklahoma in that Miami game and Alabama lost Christian Miller. And I think they were a worn out football team playing in that humidity, playing a much better Oklahoma team than Clemson had to play that Notre Dame team where they didn't even prep for them for a month. They prepped for Alabama for straight, you know, straight for a month. Um, and didn't even hardly game plan for Notre Dame, um, according to their own coaching staff. So I think Alabama, um, you know, got a nice matchup in the first round while Georgia and Michigan are going to probably beat the tar out of one another. And we're looking forward to breaking down that game as we get closer to time. But, guys, with that, we'll wrap up the show tonight. Thank you so much for listening. And, Thomas, it was an absolute pleasure, man, to have you come on the show um, talk a little Alabama football, talk about a little college football as a whole. Um, and so can you tell our great listeners where they can find Sir Lord Watts on the Twitter and where they can listen to you weekly? It's actually Sir Lord Doctor, sir. Get it right. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> no. Uh, How disrespectful, Hampton. Yeah. I know. Oh. I'm in time. Hey, swear jar. Yeah. Swear jar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, I, I – uh, produce and comment over at BAMS Radio. You can find us. We're through Blog Talk Radio. It's at BAMS Radio on Twitter. And if you want to vehemently disagree with anything that I say on this podcast or on BAMS, hit me up at Thomas H. Watts. I'm always down for a debate. Um, I will try and be respectful. But if you come to me saying some nonsense, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And at some point, facts don't care about your feelings. All right, Ben Shapiro, we'd like to hear it. Graham, you got anything else before we get out of here, man? Hey, appreciate you coming on, Thomas. Just, you know, enjoy your insight. Um, honestly, learn something for sure, and that's uh, always nice to hear. You know, I, I think we, you know, all contribute, listen to, you know, this for sports and, you know, for some part of it. It's like a, oh, I get to kind of turn off my brain to watch sports. But there's so much behind it that, you know, is, is more than just the eye candy. It is uh, the numbers. It's the statistics. It is all of that. And uh, just to you know, get to kind of listen to you talk about that, that was uh, interesting. I know the, the listeners will enjoy um, hearing all you said. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the invitation. It was a good time. Of course, you are welcome back anytime, my friend. And with that, we'll wrap up the show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the Pigskin Cafe each and every week. We truly appreciate it. If you ha if it's your first time listening, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram uh, for up-to-date info on showtimes, polls that we have going on, um, and all that good fun stuff. And be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we should be back later this week, hopefully recapping a week of NFL football. I know we've been off a couple weeks with that because there's not been – a whole lot happening or a whole lot to talk about, but I think uh, we might hop on later this week. But if not, we'll be back next week with some recruiting talk. I know with National, our early signing day being next Wednesday, there'll be a lot to discuss on that front. And the Pigskin Cafe is going to be closed. But until next time, chew on that.